Thanks so much, Kevin. Can we give it up for these amazing volunteers? Every week they're here making sure that our messages are all ready to go. And uh, yeah, I, it's a joy to be with you here. And uh, we're going to take a pause from our series on the book of James. Some of you that have been with us for a few weeks, you may have known that our summer series, we're going to be unpacking that. But with it being Father's Day, we figured let's just have a moment to honor dads and acknowledge dads on this beautiful Sunday. I want to say welcome to all those that are watching online too, as well as all those in person. I know one of the people that's watching online is my own dad. My mom and dad are in Baltimore, Maryland. I brought a picture so you can see uh, the striking resemblance between me and my dad. And uh, we took this picture last year. Uh, we, we did family pictures, you know, and uh, we had all, everyone there. And Annie was very adamant, that's my wife, that we would get a picture of our ex immediate family. So Annie, myself, our four kids, and the dog. And then later on, it was planned. You know, then let's get the grandparents in and things like that. Well, one of the things we didn't anticipate was that not all the kids would be, uh, you know, have enough energy to last a full photo set. So my mom and dad only have a picture with Tate, who's our <laughs> second son. So we'll have to uh, continue on the family pictures and uh, front load the grandparents so that they uh, have a picture with everybody, not just one of the kids there. But uh, it, it's a great day for many dads that are out here. As a dad myself, here's the number one question that I'm asked. You may have been asked this question as well if you're a dad. And that's, what do you want? What do you want for Father's Day? How do you want to be celebrated? And I appreciate that question. It's nice to be asked. And I found a survey online of uh, a number of dads that responded to a similar question. And so I, I just wanted to show you some of those responses here because I think they're pretty interesting. Here's what one dad said. He said, I want no responsibility. No cooking, no barbecuing, no paying bills, no setting anything up. This is a busy dad. Uh, just enjoying my wife and children for a day without worrying about anything that I am responsible for. So there are some dads that are here that are like, you know, I would like a break. That would be the greatest gift I could have on Father's Day. Here's, here's another dad. Honestly, to be recognized for the hard work and effort I put into raising the kids and what I do for my family. And of course, some me time. When I was preparing for this message, I read this quote to Annie, and she said, that's what I want for Mother's Day. <laughs> so that has now been noted in my uh, household that this is what mom wants, day to herself. Dads as well probably want similar things. Here's another dad. He went for it. 160-piece tool set. <laughs> this tells you how much I don't know about tools. I was like, 160? And someone told me, that's just scratching the surface. There are way more tools than just 160. Now it gets a little tender. Here's another dad said, I'd like to see my son, who I haven't seen in 30 years. You know, Father's Day, as probably many of us can imagine, uh, highlights the fact that maybe there's brokenness in our families too. And maybe we have relationships with certain people that aren't exactly what they should be. And today, even though it's supposed to be a day to have fun and celebrate, sometimes it just unearths. It's not exactly how I'd like it to be. Another tender one. To bring my father back from the grave and have a relationship with him. Since now, it's too late. You know, some, some dads may be thinking today, I just wish I could do it over again. You know, if I knew what I knew, 
about how everything would turn out. Maybe I would say things differently. Maybe I would do things differently. Maybe I'd try to be there more. Maybe, who knows? A lot of mulligans maybe are out there for dads. And today, even though it's supposed to be a good day, it could highlight the fact that maybe there's a person in your life, a dad, that isn't here anymore. And there's an empty chair maybe when you guys celebrate later on. And today is a hard day and acknowledges that. Last one I'll show you. Uh, these are for the fact that there's a lot of empty nesters maybe in our congregation today. And you guys want this. I want my adult moved out children, how many know that's a good thing, to schedule the day, buy the food, cook the food, serve the food, provide real conversation, and clean it all up at the end of the day. That would be awesome. Yeah, I got so someone applauding, and the people that are applauding have some children that they're like, wouldn't that be amazing if they would celebrate and handle today? But Father's Day is full of that, isn't it? It's, uh, there's a range of emotion and experience that we enter into today. And some of you have amazing relationships with your dads. I mean, they're your heroes. They're, they're the people that are mentors to you. You know, I, I showed you a picture of my dad and you know, my, my dad was uh, someone that made a big sacrifice when I was nine years old. And we packed up our lives into 11 suitcases and we moved from Durban, South Africa to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he had a step of courage. And my life was changed. The trajectory of my life was changed ever since then. Some of us, though, may have strained or maybe estranged relationships with our dads. And today highlights that things aren't exactly how we want them to be. And then there's probably everything in between. And, you know, if I were just to turn that to faith for just a moment, you know, what, you know what's kind of interesting? Is that Jesus decides to relate to God as Father. Of all the terms he probably could have used. You know, maybe he could have chose one that had a little tighter range of experience and emotion associated with it, but instead, he decides to relate to God as Father. And, you know, it makes me wonder, were the ancient people of Jesus' time, were they, were they okay with that? You know, maybe their experience of fatherhood was maybe not as wide or as varied as ours maybe is. Maybe they got it. Maybe they're like, of course, of course you would relate to him as Father. That makes all the sense in the world. Or maybe they, just like us, find the experience with fatherhood to be all over the map. You know, there's a, a story in the Gospels that Jesus told that I think captures what he means, well, maybe, maybe what he's trying to convey when he calls God his father. And I think it also gives us some insight into how the ancients understood this whole idea of fatherhood themselves. You know, Jesus refers to God every time recorded in the Gospels as his father except one time. And some of you are wondering, well, what's that one time? Well, I'm going to use a good old preacher's trick and only tell you at the end of the sermon. <laughs> and that way you're going to stick with me until we get there. A good old cliffhanger in a sermon. And the story that we're about to read, it really has a cliffhanger of its own. And it's a, it's a famous story. Some of you may have heard it before. It's called The Parable of the Prodigal Son. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. You know, it actually could be retitled, The Parable of the Prodigal Sons, 
and I'll give you a sense of why I think that's the case in a few moments, or with it being Father's Day, why not? We could also call it the parable of the surprising father, because the dad is pretty interesting in this story too. And so uh, it's a lengthy passage of scripture, so I'm not gonna show it on the teaching screen here. Instead, I'm gonna invite you to let your mind's eye imagine as the series of events unfolds. And this again is Jesus speaking. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, the cliffhanger for the story is that we don't know what the older brother does. You know, does he just stay out there, maybe with a scowled face, with his arms crossed, and refuses to join the party, or does his heart soften? And does he decide to enter into a beautiful celebration? You know, this story is, it, it's powerful 
It's imaginative. I, I, I pray that as you heard that, your mind's eye just saw the, the, the amazing things that are happening here. And I think it says a lot about why Jesus decided to relate to God as his father. You know, the story starts uh, somewhat mundanely to our modern ears. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Well, estates are transferred then, just like they are now, at death. And so, uh, really, what this, older, or what this younger son is saying to his dad is, Dad, I really don't know why you're still here. Because what I really want is your stuff. And so if I can have it and, make, and go along with my life, I think that'd be best for both of us. Now, that was pretty insulting, very dishonoring, particularly in an ancient culture where honor and shame were uh, the, the currency of how relationships were understood. This was one of the more dishonoring things a son could ever say to his dad. And the original hearers of the story are anticipating a response from the dad, maybe typical to what other honor-shame culture dads would have done, and that is, that son just lost everything. He thought he was going to get it all. He just lost it all. He dishonored his dad. And the scriptures say, so he divided his property between them. The dad does it. You know, the Greek word for property there is the uh, word bios. It's where we get the word for biology, the study of life. Another way you could potentially think about what's happening in that verse is the father decided to divide his life between them. You know, ancient people, when you think about their estates, their possessions, their wealth, uh, for, it's not like how we do it here. Our, our wealth is not typically tied up in bank accounts. This isn't a simple wire transfer. His property, his animals, his possessions, that's his wealth. And so if he's going to give the inheritance to the younger son, he has to give up of things. He has to sell land. He has to sell animals. He has to sell his property. And, and uh, a Jewish custom was that the uh, sons were the heirs. And so the sons would be the ones that would actually receive upon death an inheritance. And the older son was entitled to a double portion. So basically, in this particular scenario with a father with two sons, two-thirds of the estate would go to the older son and one-third of the estate would go to the younger. And the father gives a third of all he owns, sells it all, and gives the money to his boy. And what does the boy do with that? He runs away. And he goes to a foreign country, which for a good Jewish boy is a little bit of a stretch, but he decides if I'm going to have some wild living, I probably can't do it in the view of all of my friends and family. I got to go out and enjoy all this world has to offer. And very quickly, his abundance turns to poverty. And he loses it all. I don't know if uh, any of you have had this experience before where you feel like you've found the bottom of your life. And that's what happens to this young man. He finds the bottom. And he hopes and he prays that it's only upwards from here. It's so bottom for him that as a Jewish boy, he has to hire himself out not to another Jewish person, but to a foreigner, a Gentile, and someone that doesn't believe in the things of God. And the work that he has to do is nightmarish. He has to feed the animals that he is forbidden to touch or to eat. 
you know, that Jewish customs and, and, and law had this idea that there were clean things and unclean things. And the stay close to the clean things because that allows you to have access to the presence of God. Go by the unclean things and it's going to take a long time for you to clean yourself up again to go back into the presence of God. And what was one of the top on the list of unclean things were pigs. How many are glad that we don't necessarily follow those customs today? Because some of you probably had bacon this morning for your Father's Day breakfast. But for a good Jewish boy, not a good idea. Think of how far to the bottom his life went. He thinks, I think I need to eat the food of the animal I'm not supposed to eat in order to stay. Like I have sustenance in my body. I mean, his world is turned upside down and, the, and Jesus says that he, he comes to his senses. He realizes, what am I doing? Why am I being hired out to a foreign person, living with pigs, thinking about eating their food? I just will go back. But the text says he knows he can't go back as a son. Maybe my dad will take me back as one of his hired servants. In this culture, servants lived in town. They didn't live on the estate and the property. And so he is realizing, I did lose it all. And the way that I dishonored my dad, I know I can't get it back. So at the very least, hopefully he doesn't do to me what he should have done to me when I asked for his death and for his money. And maybe he'll bring me back as a servant. So he makes his way home. And then I think one of the more beautiful lines in this story me, uh, while he was still a long way off. You know, what, what I imagine is, uh, I wonder how many mornings the dad went out to the edge of his property. Mind you, it's a smaller property now. A third of it's been sold to somebody else. And I wonder if he scanned the horizon, hoping, waiting, wondering. I wonder if my boy will come home. And when a silhouette in the distance emerges, he's filled with compassion. And his response also would have confounded the original hearers of the story. He decides to book it. He runs toward his son, he hugs him, and he kisses him. He shows reckless abandon. He shows joyous love. He shows expression in ways that ancient dads would have been very, very seldom to do. You know, ancient dads were in, in this more patriarchal society, a society where dads were the top dogs. They had status, they had power, they had wealth. They don't run for things. That's where they have servants. If there's something that they need to get to in a hurry, someone else was going to do that. But this dad was too overwhelmed with compassion to follow the conventions of the ancient world. And the son is so discombobulated by what's happening, he doesn't even realize it because he starts his speech. You know, I think of the son walking back home and he's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He's rehearsing his speech, so he starts the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, but the dad cuts him off. And he says, hey, servants, you gotta treat this boy of mine like a son. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. He's not a servant to me. He's back in the family. And we're going to have the biggest party of our lives to celebrate. They kill the fattened calf. Anyone ever, like, order a cow before? 
remember the first time our family did that. I think it was nine, ten years old. And we had to buy a freezer because it is a lot of food. This kind of celebration was not just for a family to get together and have a little barbecue. This is the entire village and all the surrounding communities coming together to celebrate the sun that comes home. A fattened calf is, in all likelihood, in ancient culture, the fattened calf is the most prized possession of a family unit. It's probably the most expensive possession that they hold as well. Because meat was not something that you would do every day. It was for very special occasions. And the fattened calf was for the most special occasion of all. And the, and the dad decides this is the occasion. And then the older brother finds out. The text says he's out in the field. He's doing his job. Maybe he's wiping the uh, sweat off his brow and he hears music and dancing and he's like, what is happening around here? Calls one of the servants and the servant says, your, your brother, he's back home. And the older brother is angry. Father comes out to him and says, will you please join in on what's happening here? And the older brother says, look, I slave for you. I do all the work. I don't even get a goat. Think of the size discrepancy. It's not even a young goat. I just want to have a party with my friends. Yet you kill our most prized possession. For notice how he talks about his brother. This son of yours doesn't even acknowledge the fact that they're brothers. The only way he relates to him now is, yeah, you're, you're, that, that's your other son. I don't even, he's not, even, he's not my brother. And the dad pleads with him and says, he's lost and now he's home. You have to come and be part of this. And like I said, we don't know what the older brother decides to do. It's an amazing story. So why did Jesus tell it? Why did he tell a story about two sons and an expectation-shattering father? A father who was unlike many maybe even any father the original hearers would have known. Because again, based on how the story unfolds, honor, shame, culture, ancient context, the father should have disowned not just the first son, but the second too. The first son for asking for his death and squandering all the money. The second son for disrespecting him and dishonoring him. Remember how the son talked to him. Look, you didn't even give me this. Didn't address him as dad. Didn't show a humble posture. Ancient convention would have said both these boys should have been cast out. Yet the father shows grace and generosity to both of them. And so to answer the question of why did Jesus tell it, I think it's important to know who he told it to. So Luke 15, just a few verses up, verse 1. And the scriptures say this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. His audience is older brothers and younger brothers. Pharisees, religious elites, older brothers. Tax collectors, sinners, outcasts and outlaws that decided to sell out either their morals or their money for wild living. Younger brothers. And here's the thing. They both got lost on their way to relate to God. A God Jesus calls and relates to as Father. 
One group said this, you know what, we're gonna do this thing perfectly. We're gonna do everything right, we're gonna work hard, we're gonna keep out of trouble, we're never gonna miss a duty, and then maybe God will love us. Then the other group said, well, we're not gonna do, we're never gonna live up to that. I don't know if God's gonna love us based on the things we've already done, so I think we're gonna run away. Older and younger brothers were listening to Jesus and he was trying to help them see themselves in the story. He's trying to help us see ourselves in the story. One group tried to find their own way in the world and it left them empty and wondering if they could ever come home. The other group thought they had it all figured out with their morals and their status and their righteousness and Jesus was saying to them, you're just as lost because you don't know God as your father. Older brothers, you know him as your master. Younger brothers, you know him as your judge. And he's those things. He's got the power to master. He's got the authority to judge. But Jesus says, that's not how I relate to him. I know him as father, as Abba, which is an Aramaic word that has an endearing translation to it. We could call it Papa or Daddy in today's English. And every time we hear Jesus speak about his father, God, in the Gospels, he refers to him as such, as father or Abba, except one time. And here's that time. Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, this also in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lima sabatani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time he doesn't address God as Father. And the late uh, pastor theologian Tim Keller says this is why. It's the only time Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father because it was the only time he wasn't treated as a son. So you and I could be. The Christian story says that those found in Christ are now sons and daughters of God. We get to relate to God as Father because of what Jesus did for us on that rugged cross. And what a father he is. He he gives his bios or his life for you. He stands on the edge of heaven waiting for you to turn to him. And even if you're a long way away, He'll chase after you. He'll embrace you. He'll clothe you. And he'll call all of heaven to celebrate the fact that you are found in his love rather than wandering in wild living or wallowing in self-righteousness. Both paths are a recipe for lostness because you either think you're too far gone to be found in God's love or you think you're too far good to need it. Jesus confronted an audience of older and younger brothers with the surprising, confounding, expectation-shattering way of God, the Father. And I would venture to say some of you are wildly surprised that this is who God is, a loving, gracious, generous, good Father. A Father. Even in the midst of the range of emotion and experience many of us have with our earthly dads, an experience I'll say to you the ancients share with us. 
they too were utterly surprised that this is who God is. He's a father that defies expectations. And the deepest desire of our father's heart is to see older and younger brothers alike, his kids, to see him for who he truly is, their father. And that's a powerful truth for us to celebrate on this day, a day we call Father's Day. You know, if you remember back to the beginning of the sermon, I uh, shared a couple examples of what fathers want for Father's Day. I didn't tell you what I would like. My wife was in the first sermon, so she got to hear this, which is good. <laughs> and here's what I think I'd like for Father's Day. After I'm done here, I'm going to go home. I'm sure I'm going to sit on the front stoop of our house, and the dog's going to be by my side, and I'm just going to take a deep breath. Let today settle in, and then I'm probably going to break out some super soakers, and I just want to hear the giggles and the laughter and the joy of my four little kids running around having a blast and making memories. But if I set that perfect day vision aside, because Lord knows it won't actually unfold that way, the dog will probably run into the street, and as soon as the kids get wet, they're going to start crying, even though they love the idea <laughs> that we're going to have a water gun fight, but probably won't go exactly like that. But maybe if I have a longer view in mind, maybe what I really want for Father's Day is similar to God's heart for his people. And that's for my kids to know me as a father, like that father in that famous parable, that I defied their expectations in my grace, in my generosity, in my love, in my presence, that I responded with grace before correction, embrace before words, presence before advice, love before all. You know, the joy and uh, maybe the most intimidating thing about being a dad is that every interaction that my kids have with me will impact or color their connection to God. And that's true for all of us that are dads. And we're not going to do it perfectly. There's grace for us. And the range of emotion and experience will be there. And so maybe a simple invitation, if you're a dad this morning, is to enter into what we at Westwood call our rhythm of life, to be in love like Jesus, to be in love like that surprising dad. And so if you haven't talked to your kids in a while, defy their expectations and call them today. If you need to ask for forgiveness, go for it. If you haven't hugged or kissed your kids in a while, today is your day. If you think you've wandered too far off, you can come home. And if you think you're too buttoned up to celebrate a prodigal coming home, why not join the party? You know, and that invite will allow older and, older and younger brothers to take notice. And in that, we will give glory to God, a God that we get to call Father. And really, that invite isn't just for dads. For all of us today, we get to be the church. We get to represent to the world our love, through our love, that God is best known as a loving Father, giving it all for the self-righteous and the self-indulgent so that we can all come home, so that we all can be found in the Father's love and what a father he is. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that we get to call you Father because of what Jesus has done for us on that rugged cross. And Lord, I pray whatever the range of experience represented today in this room with dads, as dads, or even with our dads, that 
the firmest grip on our souls would be the love that we share in you, our loving Heavenly Father. May that encourage us. May that compel us to do something surprising today. And in that, may people see you for who you truly are, a gracious, loving, good Father. So we give you the honor and the glory and the praise. We pray this right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.